You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. So today, as we go through the Gospel of Luke, we're looking at a story that, uh, you know, for some of you, for perhaps for yourself, you've heard this story multiple times. And the temptation it is for you just to shut down, just to check out, just to think, I, I know the story, the story that we call the prodigal son. And yet I find this story inexhaustible in its insights. And I find that every time I come back to this story in the Gospel of Luke, I find myself in a different place. And I, and I sense that God has something fresh and new to speak to me through this story. Perhaps you're not familiar with the story at all. And if that's the case, you're also in for a real treat. Now, one of the things I want us to be reminded is that Jesus tells this story in response to criticism. And a criticism that specifically is geared at his love and his care for the outsider, for the sinner, for the person that's messed up. Because Jesus had a practice that he was always eating and drinking with people that were not necessarily religious or not part of the religious institution. And so the people that were of the religious institution, particularly the Pharisees, were very critical of Jesus. And they just criticized him for eating and drinking, hanging out with those kind of people. And one of the persons that's probably among the Pharisees is a guy named Simon. And perhaps you were with us back in February or you remember the story in the seventh chapter of Luke where Simon had invited Jesus to his house to eat and to drink. And he publicly had snubbed Jesus. So most likely that Simon is among those Pharisees who are so critical of Jesus as he tells this story. One more thing before we jump into the story itself. Think about this in terms of your relationship within the church family, if you're a part of this church. What does this story have to say to us as brothers and sisters in the church family or God's kingdom? But also, what does this story have to say to you in your own biological family? maybe in your family of origin, but particularly in what's going on right now with your own family, your own household, your own extended family. Feel free to look through both those lenses as we now look at this amazing story that Jesus tells only found in the Gospel of Luke. To illustrate the point further, Jesus said, told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. 
About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he he began to starve. He persuaded the local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The younger man was so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. (coughs) But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he told, he said, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years, I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, You have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. So you have three characters in this story. You have the father. You have the father that can represent in in your own family unit a parent that it is aching, that is hurt, that has been treated with disrespect and disregard. The Father also represents God, a God of unconditional love, a God that will never coerce us or manipulate us or make us to love Him, a God who freely gives us all things and a God who will let us leave relationship with him 
if we so choose. We have the younger son. The younger son is someone that uh, has great disregard and disrespect and treats his parents as only a utilitarian type of function in life, who cares nothing about the relationship, who is a user of anything he can get from anybody at any time. The younger son can represent any one of us too, who don't really care for God, for the family, and it's all about doing our own thing in our own way whenever we do it, regardless of the collateral damage that is done in the family. And there's the older brother. There's the brother that uh, is responsible, who's home, who's moralistic. In the, in the story of Jesus, uh, he's, he's most likely religious. He's, he's one of the Pharisees. He, he's one of those guys that is always doing his duty. But he's also representing any one of us who may be moralistic and maybe religious. But we look down on other people. And we feel like that whatever goodness and grace that we have in life, by golly, we have earned. It is merited. We did it ourselves. Which one of those three persons this morning do you identify with the most? Let's just unpack the story just a little bit more. So the younger son wishes that his father was dead. You know, there's a lot of elder abuse that happens in families, in relationships, in culture. There's a lot of people with means that are being taken advantage of by people of the younger generation. And it's easy for us to look on parents or grandparents as people that What can we get out of them? We can take them for granted. And maybe you are one of those persons. The younger son wants the inheritance now. And Jesus, in telling this story, is not telling us that we as parents should give our adult children or our younger children anything they want, anytime they want it but it is a reflection of the love of God. It's a reflection of how unconditional and how risk-taking our God is in our lives. What it really means to offer things so freely and so generously and to be taken for granted. And yet being willing to do it, waiting and longing and wanting for our children to come home. So what happens in this story? What happens is God the Father, the Father in the story divides up the wealth. The younger son gets one-third because that's what the culture said. Older son will get two-thirds, and he gets it now, something to remember later 
in the story. And the younger son leaves, blows it all, comes to his senses, and wants to come home. You know, full-fledged prodigal sons and daughters only call home when they want something. (laughs) Only come home when they want something. Only return your texts (laughs) or texts sometimes (laughs) when they want something. Are you one of those persons to other people in your life? A pastor posted on Facebook the statement, I stopped running from God when? It became clear to me that I made a mess of things or I hit rock bottom or she fled for divorce or I heard myself say the words, I'm an alcoholic. Now, these are people that are responding to the statement. I, I stopped running from God when the pregnancy test came back positive or the path I was on came to a dead end or I woke up in the hospital after an overdose. I was in the back of a police car. I stopped running from God when I was fired for embezzlement or the affair was discovered or I realized I had nowhere else to go. You know, the amazing story of Jesus is that we can always come home. It's not true in all biological families, is it? Is it true in your family? or not. The attitude, you made your own bed, now lie in it. This is so unlike Jesus. This is so unlike the father of Jesus who can't wait for the prodigal to come home. You're still looking from the porch, scanning the horizon. And when he comes, He doesn't wait for him to get to the porch. (laughs) He doesn't need a speech. He has all the rights and privileges of being a son or daughter again. And he has to throw the party. A father who delights in his children, even when they've messed up. Do you know that kind of a God? Do you have that kind of a father in your life today who delights in you, who dances over you, who considers you the apple of his eye? Steve Siemens is a professor in seminary. He talks about this counselor who over the years has asked his clients This question, when God looks at you, is he, A, mostly mad because you're such a screw-up, B, mostly sad because you're so pitiful, or C, mostly glad because he's, because you're his beloved child and he delights in you? How would you respond to that? What is true for you right now in the way that you believe God views you in this moment? 
the character, the image that you have of God. Is God mostly mad at you? Sad about you? Or does God delight in you? Because you're his beloved child. You know, this story or this reality is so striking because 85% of the clients over the years have responded either A or B to that question. 85% of people who receive Christian counseling from this one professional has said, God is mostly mad at me or mostly sad about me. When Jesus is telling us this story, that no matter who we are and how many times we mess up, and does God get mad? Sure. Does God, is God saddened? Yes. But is God's posture primarily a posture of delighting in us, in valuing us, in loving us, regardless of what we've done or what we're doing. So I think this, this reality strikes at the core both sons' problems. The younger son who can't believe that the father is going to really welcome him home and take delight in him, but that's the party, that's the celebration. But the older son who does not sense that the father delights in him either. There is that older son, isn't it, in the story? Maybe you relate to this. Maybe you see yourself as the older son. I mean, you've always been responsible. You were the Boy Scout, the Girl Scout. You earned your badges. You've always done what was called upon you to do. And somehow you've come to believe that the father doesn't really love you or you just don't really need that love because after all, you've always been moral. You've always been straight. You've always done what you need to do and you kept your nose clean. And so we suffer, my friends, some of us, from the older son who resents it when other people have messed up, or at least we think they've messed up, and we tell stories about them that's worse than what is really true because nowhere in the story do we read that the younger son had squandered his money with prostitutes, and yet that's exactly what the older son And so those of us who may have a condescending heart toward others, but also are separated from the Father's love, that don't recognize that while we're doing the work in the field, that while we're being responsible, that God takes delight in us. And it's out of that relationship and that love that we do these things. We don't do these things to earn God's love. We don't do these things because we deserve God's love. We do these things because we want to do it in response to a God that is so generous 
and so loving and so good. It, it's beyond the fathom of our greatest imagination. That's what Jesus wants us to get. It was uh, nine years ago. I was at a global leadership summit and Timothy Keller spoke. Timothy Keller is a retired pastor and he had just written the book, The Prodigal God. And so I heard Keller say these words as he describes what the true brother, the true elder brother would do in that culture. So hear hear Keller's words as he spoke them over me nine years ago. Keller says it was his job, the true elder brother's job, to sustain the family's unit and to place and its place in the community. It is the elder brother who should have said something like, Father, my younger brother has been a fool and now his life is in ruins but I'll bring him back into the family at my expense. Think of the kind of elder brother that we need. We need one who just would not go into a far country, but who would come all the way from heaven to earth to find us. We need one who would not just open his wallet for us, but pour out his life One who would pay not just a finite cost, but an infinite debt to bring us back into God's family. And we do. It's Jesus. As Keller spoke those words that day, nine years ago, I just felt like I was emotionally wrecked inside because I knew the reality was that in my own family at that time, we certainly had a full-fledged prodigal. And I was having a lot of difficulty loving and accepting and wanting that person to be restored. And I also needed the fresh infusion of love for that prodigal and for God's love for me. I needed the reminder that I have a true elder brother who left home all the way from the father's house in heaven and came to this earth to seek and to save the lost. And I was one of those lost sons that he found. I needed a fresh infusion of the love of God and what I needed, God gave me. And I turned to a friend who was a prayer partner at the time and I said, come on with me. And we went to the prayer room at the conference and I confessed my sins and I said, I am just so done with this. And the person I was journeying with at the time, it's amazing how God puts relationships together. (laughs) I was always the older son that never left. And he was the prodigal that had messed up big time. And how God touched my spirit. 
by being in relationship to this guy who knew so freely his reliance on the love of God. We have a true elder brother, Jesus, who's come all the way from the father's house. And he, he tells the story about the father who throws the banquet of celebrating when anyone comes home that's lost. And Jesus welcomes us to his table this morning. And it was the Seder meal. It was the Passover meal that they were at table with. But what Jesus says after that meal to his disciples is what we want to get. And Jesus says, this is my body. Because just as there's a fattened calf in the story of the prodigal son, Jesus is the body that is broken for us that we might come to the table of grace. He's the true elder brother who doesn't make just a contribution but lays down his body for us. He's the one that pours out his grace, his blood, his lifeblood for all of us. And he's the one that invites us to his table this morning. And as you come, friends, we don't come with our merit badges on. If you got a merit badge, take it off. We come out of grace. We come out of need. We come out of love. We, came, we come out of celebration. And also, for any of us who still suffer from the older brother syndrome, we want to be reminded that as we come to this table, there's always someone missing someone missing in our family, maybe our biological family, in our church family. There's someone that's not here. And our true elder brother came to seek and to save the lost. And as you come and you share in this meal, and I hope you come, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you just want to come to Jesus, <laughs> come. But when you leave... Think about somebody in your life, somebody in your family, some friend, someone in your church family that's missing. And be that elder brother, that elder sister who goes all the way seeking them out to know that we all delight in the grace of God. So would the servers please come and take your place and we're going to come into a time of worship and if you want to receive gluten-free, that is available at that table. Just come and just be thankful for the mercy, the forgiveness, the grace of God.
and be thinking about who's missing and sharing the Father's love.